This morning, I have the privilege of introducing our guest preacher, who is not a guest to Redemption Hill, uh, but he's a, a guest to uh, the preaching moment. So, uh, Sony, come on out here, uh, brother. This is Sony Cheriakaloth. Let's give up, give it up for Sony. Thank you. Man. So, uh, Sony is a, a leader in our church. Uh, he's a man who deeply loves God. He leads a lot of our uh, times of prayer in Redemption Hill, and uh, he is married to the wonderful Preeti. They have four awesome kids: Leah, Micah, Caleb, and Ephraim. And uh, Sony is a fabulous dad. Uh, he is a graduate of Medford High School and Tufts University, uh, but more than anything, he is a lover of God mm. and committed to uh, following Jesus every day. Uh, so whenever I'm with Sony, whether he's leading a, a short devotion uh, at a prayer, uh, pre-service prayer, or he's uh, teaching at a fire nights, I am always encouraged and instructed and built up. That's what the gifts do. We've been talking about spiritual gifts this year, right, as a church. And uh, they're not just a couple of, you know, teachers or preachers in our church, but there are many. And we're so thankful uh, for the gifts that God gives of, of teaching and wisdom. You hang out with Sony, you notice if you're in his community group, he has the gift of wisdom. And uh, so you're going to benefit from that today. But Sony, I just want to pray for you one time. Amen. And uh, one more time. Amen. And then uh, we're ready to hear from you. Amen. What God wants to say through you, Father. So Amen. God, thank, thank you for you, this God. moment. Thank Lord, you, thank you for Sony. Lord, we know that thank uh, you, he God. is... Uh, Someone who loves you, who's spent time preparing to share with us, God, what you've shared with him. Amen. Uh, so God, empower not only him, Lord, but empower us, God. Give us uh, what you talk about in James chapter 1, a humility to receive the implanted word, God. There Amen. is not one of us, myself included, who does not need more of your truth, the truth Amen. that sets us free. So God, help us to be humble receivers. Amen. Amen. And then... Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Tanner. Good morning, everyone. I am thankful to, to be able to share God's word with you today. So today we are, we're continuing in 1 Corinthians. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter two verses six through 16. That's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter two, verses six through 16. So as you're getting there, I just want to just kind of give a quick introduction of what I'm going to be doing. First, I'm, I'm going to read, just read from the passage. Um, then I'm going to pray, just pray for us. And then we can, we're going to look at God's word together. All right, hopefully we're all there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 16. This is the word of the Lord. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God 
except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. All right, let me pray, and then we can look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, God, we, we thank you, God, for this day, God. We thank you, God, for this morning. We thank you, God, for your son. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for your spirit. Holy Father, we thank you, God, that you have called us into your presence this morning, having loved us, God, desiring God to share something with us today, God. I pray, Holy Father, God, in this next half an hour, God, as we look at God's word together, that you would be here, God. Heavenly Father, God, I confess to you today, God, that I have no strength, God, God, no ability, God, nothing in myself, God, to be able to share anything, God. But Heavenly Father, God, I know, God, that your children need something today from you, God, not from me. So I am praying, Holy Father, God, that you would take me out of the way, God, and everything of me out of the way, God, my fears, my anxieties, my weaknesses, God, that your spirit, God, can speak to the church, God, what your spirit desires to say to the church today, God. Holy Father, God, that your words, God, would be here today, God, that they would be spirit and there would be life, God. In your name I pray. Amen. I praise God. As we are continuing in, in 1 Corinthians, the one thing that we already kind of looked at and kind of already have seen is that Paul was speaking to a culture that worshipped man and a culture that worshipped the thoughts of man. And so as we think of this reality, I think one of the things that we shouldn't assume is that we ourselves, that we do not have the same issues, that we do not have an idolatry of man or an idolatry of self. And so today there's one question that I want to really um, present and, and through this teaching, and it is this question. As we look at wisdom, as we look at the thoughts of man against the thoughts of God, the wisdom of man against the wisdom of God, it is just one question. Is man sufficient in any way, or is God alone sufficient? And this question is not just relevant to this passage about the wisdom of God, but it's relevant really to all the work of the ministry of God, relevant to the ministry of the Spirit, and what the Spirit is doing in the church, it's relevant to, to also to what we are this year looking at, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and how we can walk in the gifts of the Spirit. I think this is the most relevant question that we have to ask as we look at all of these things. Is man sufficient in any way, or is God alone sufficient? So I want to start um, in Luke chapter 7, verse 
35, these are the, the words of Jesus as he talks about wisdom. So I think it's going to help us as we look at this passage as Paul discusses wisdom. So this is what Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 35 says of wisdom. He says, wisdom is justified by all her children. So what is Jesus saying? What does Jesus mean by these words? Wisdom is justified by her children. What Jesus is saying is that wisdom can only be measured by what it produces, not by how it sounds. So when you are looking at wisdom, the only way to know wisdom is something is wise or not. There's only one way to measure it. In the end, there's only one criteria that you can really use to measure wisdom, what it produces. And by what something produces, you know whether it is wisdom or not, whether it is the wisdom of God or not the wisdom of God. And so as we look at that thought and as we come back to this passage, I want to start with verse 6 and what Paul says in verse 6. Paul says in verse 6, the rulers of this age are doomed to pass away. And so when you think of this term, the rulers of this age, what does that mean, the rulers of this age? What is Paul trying to convey through that term, rulers of this age? I think what Paul is really trying to convey is man at his best. And so here, Paul is trying to say that man at his best is doomed to pass away. In the New King James Version, it says, come to nothing. So if man at his best is passing away, then what does that mean? It means that what they are sharing to us, no matter how eloquent it sounds, it can't really be wisdom, right? Because the criteria of wisdom is what it produces. And so if man in all their wisdom and all the wisdom that they walk in, ultimately they're passing away, ultimately man in all their wisdom is coming to nothing, what does that mean? That what they are sharing and the wisdom with which they live is not wisdom at all. And so in verse 8, this is what Paul can, goes on to say. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what does Paul say about the rulers of the age, the wisest of the people at the time of Jesus? He says, they got Jesus wrong. And it wasn't just that they got Jesus a little bit wrong. They got Jesus as wrong as they could have gotten him. The worst thing for their sakes that they could have done to Jesus was to crucify him. There isn't anything more foolish that they could have done to Jesus than to crucify him. And Paul, in verse 8, he uses the word, he says, none of the rulers. He says it wasn't just that one man got Jesus wrong. And this, this was supposed to be the best of the wisdom of man in Jerusalem. He said every single one of them got Jesus wrong. What did the wisdom of man produce? It produced only the judgment of God. Again, what, what, how does Jesus measure wisdom by what it produces? 
In chapter 1, verse 30, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this verse, and so I just want to read it again. It says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Why is Jesus wisdom from God? Paul explains it in the next part. Because in Christ, there is righteousness, there is sanctification, there is redemption. That's why Jesus is the wisdom of God, because in Christ, there is so much that God produces in us. And so this brings me to the, to the next point. The wisdom of man may impress, only the wisdom of God can save. The wisdom of, God, of man may impress, but it's only the wisdom of man that can save. The wisdom of God that can save, sorry. So when you go to look at, um, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says these words, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So what was God offering to the church? God was offering what Paul describes as an ageless wisdom. It was an ageless wisdom that God had prepared for the children in Corinth, for his children in Corinth, also for now for us in the church. It was something that God had prepared even before the foundations of the earth were laid, even before time began. God had prepared something this wisdom for the people of God. And the other thing is when you look at Paul and what Paul is describing here, there was likely no man in all of human history to whom God had given the revelation into the depths of his thoughts like he had given to Paul. So this was the wisdom that God had prepared for humanity and for his church even before time had began. And he hid it till Christ came into this world, and he had prepared it even before time began. And there was one man that had received the wisdom of God, received revelation into the depths of God's thoughts, unlike any other man in human history likely, Apostle Paul, and this was the man that, that came to Corinth to share the wisdom of God to Corinth, to the children there. And yet they didn't receive what Paul was sharing. Why? Because they wanted to be impressed. They were looking for eloquence. They were looking for man's thoughts. They were looking for lofty words. And so because they were so focused on man, on the strength of man, on the abilities of man, what man can give, they were enabled to receive what God wanted to give to them. Because they were so focused on man and the strength of man, the power of man, the glory of man, they weren't able to receive what God was offering. And so I just want to say this as a side note. This is just something that God has also just really been um, just sharing to me, just really convicting me of is, you know, just this idea of, of wanting to impress others. Just one of the things that I just want to say is that anytime that we try to impress anybody, 
we're actually doing them a big disservice. Because when we're trying to impress anybody, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring attention to ourselves. But there's nothing in and of ourselves that we offer to anyone. And so any time in our lives that we try to bring any attention to ourselves, we're doing man a disservice because there's nothing that we offer to man. When we bring our attention to God and turn the focus to God, that is a good thing because there's so much God offers. And so this is one of the reasons why even earlier, and Pastor Tanner shared this last week, you know, Paul says, I did not come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. He didn't want to walk in the wisdom of, of man. He didn't want to impress the Corinthians. He didn't want to go away from sharing God's truth in the, to the Corinthians. And they were thinking about him and how great he was because he knew in himself there was nothing that he was offering to them. And so he would have, he would have been doing them a disservice by bringing any attention to him. To him. He wanted the attention to be on God. He wanted to be on the Son of God. He wanted to be, as we see today, on the Spirit of God because in, in Christ, in the Spirit of God, there's so much God offers in ourselves. There's so little that we offer to others. At the beginning of verse 6, Paul says these words, but among the mature we do impart wisdom. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. So who are the mature? Who are the mature in the church in Corinth? Who are the mature in the church here today? What does it mean to be mature? The mature are those who understand that God is not trying to impress them. The mature are those who understand that God is giving us his word. God is giving us his gifts not to impress us, but to save us. God has no desire to impress us with his words, what he desires to do with his words. And when he gives us his word here, he's not trying to impress us. The goal of why God gives us his word is to save us. And so the mature understand this. The mature, when they hear God's word, they're not asking, did I enjoy that sermon or did I not enjoy that sermon? They're not asking, how could that sermon have been better or what did I really like about it or didn't like about it? They know when God is giving his word, he's giving it for, for one reason, to save, to sanctify, to redeem, to give life to the dead. That's why God gives his word. It's not to impress us, but to save us. Which brings me to, to my next point. If we had any wisdom or power in and of ourselves, God would not have to give us his spirit. If we had any wisdom or power in ourselves, God would not have to give us his spirit. In the very act of God giving us his son, what was God saying to us? God was saying to us that man is not righteous. Because if man was righteous, there would be no reason for God to give his son. And in the very act of God giving his spirit, God is saying to humanity that, God, that humanity has no power of its own and no wisdom of its own. Because if man was wise, there'd be no reason for God to give his spirit. 
In the very act of God giving his spirit to humanity, what is God saying to humanity? You have no wisdom of your own, and that is why I need to give you the spirit. In the same way, when God gave his son, when he was giving his son, he's saying to humanity, you have no righteousness of your own. That's why I need to give you my son. And so I want to just share a story just connected with this. Um, Earlier this year, um, yeah, Pastor Tanner mentioned that I graduated from Medford High. That was in 2000. So I, I turned 40 earlier this year. And so, um, so for my 40th birthday, my, um, my cousin, he gave me money for a suit. And I was, I was happy. I said, okay, that's, that's nice. I have a suit. I like my suit, but... I guess I could always use the second suit. And then my, my sister called me, and my sister told me um, that she told my brother to take me shopping, that she wants to get me new clothes for my birthday. And so I thought about that. My, my cousin wants to buy me a new suit, and my sister out of all the gifts that she could get me, she wants to get me new clothes. I, I, was, I was thankful for the gifts, but I also got the message. <laughs> my, my family's not really impressed with my style. And so in the same way, God is giving us a gift, but in that very gift, he's also giving us a message. He's not really impressed with our wisdom. So there's a, there's a popular view in the church today that goes like something like this. The early church needed the Spirit of God because they didn't have God's Word. The early church needed the Spirit of God because they didn't have God's Word. But we today, we don't need God's Spirit because we have God's Word. And so I want to read verse 14 because... Paul indicates that actually the opposite is true. Let's read verse 14 together. In verse 14, Paul says these words. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And there's many things that are of the Spirit, but one of the things that we know is of the Spirit is, of, is the Word of God. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that the Word of God doesn't make the Spirit of God less necessary. The Word of God actually makes the Spirit of God more necessary. And he tells us in this passage that God needs to make a natural man a spiritual man before he can give his thoughts to that man and that man can comprehend the thoughts of God. So it's impossible for someone who is natural, someone who hasn't received the Spirit of God, someone who isn't filled of the Spirit of God to be able to open God's Word 
and to understand what God is trying to say. The only way someone actually is able to even comprehend the thoughts of God that God has given to us in his word is by being filled of the Spirit of God. And the more one is filled of the Spirit, the more one can comprehend the truths of God's word. In John chapter 4, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and, and in truth. And so, which brings me to the, my next point, the prerequisite to worshiping God in truth is worshiping God in spirit. The prerequisite to worshiping God in truth is worshiping God in spirit. And so the more one is filled with the spirit of God, the more one will, the more one will be able to worship God in truth. God, Paul in the first part of verse 13 says these words, he says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And so Paul is going past us being able to comprehend the Word of God. He's going past that to now being able to share God's Word. Because God is not only calling us to understand God's Word, God is also calling us to share that Word. And what is Paul saying in verse 13 when he says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. What Paul is saying is that if God's truth is not shared in the Spirit, it will be shared through the wisdom of man. What Paul is saying is that man will ultimately fill whatever the Spirit of God doesn't fill. which again brings us back to my first question that I asked, is man sufficient in any way, or is God alone sufficient? Is it, is it enough that we understand God's word? Can we then go and use our own craftiness and our own charisma to go share that word? Will that bring life? Paul is saying no. Paul is saying the same teacher who teaches us and allows us to comprehend God's word is the same teacher that comes then and allows us to teach that truth to others. And it is when God puts his thoughts into us and then God shares his thoughts through us that is when salvation can flow. And so it's not just necessary that we understand God's thoughts and God's, God's mind, but we also need the Spirit of God to be able to share God's thoughts and God's mind so that others may also receive it. In verse 15, Paul makes, makes an amazing statement. He says this, he says, the spiritual person judges all things. So what's Paul saying? He's saying that the spiritual man judges all things correctly. The spiritual man gets everything right. Whatever he looks at, whatever he judges, he judges it right. How is that possible? 
At the end of verse 16, Paul tells us, but we have the mind of Christ. What Paul is saying is that through the Spirit of God, God is not just trying to reveal his thoughts to us. Through the Spirit of God, God is trying to do something even greater. He's trying to actually give us the mind of God. He's trying to give us the mind of Christ. So I come back to what I started with. Man worships man, but the thing that we see here is that God, on the other hand, puts absolutely no hope in man. Which brings me to this point, that God's goal in giving us his spirit is to fully free us from ourselves. There's nothing in and of ourselves that we offer to anybody even Paul, who wrote most of the, the New Testament before Christ appeared to him, before the Spirit of God filled him, there was nothing of himself that he was offering to anybody. And so God's desire, unlike the Corinthians who, who wanted to make much of man, thought that man was so special, that man had so much charisma, so much to offer, wanted to turn all their attention to man, who man is. God, through his spirit, desires to fully free the church from ourselves. As I come to my last thought, I want to look at verse 9. It says in verse 9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the mind of the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I have these verses hanging in my, um, in my dining room. So this is a very popular, well-known verse. And so usually when we think of these verses, we think of heaven we think of what God is preparing for the church tomorrow. But when Paul uses these words, he's not thinking about heaven at all. These words have nothing to do with the future. It has everything to do with right now, what God has prepared for the church through his spirit. And so I want to just focus on just the, the last few words just from this passage which says, for those who love him. So even as we're thinking about the gifts of the Spirit, we're thinking about the work of the Spirit, we're thinking of the fullness of God and all God is offering to us. There's that question, how do we partake of everything God has for us? As Redemption Hill, as a church, how do we walk in everything God has for us? Paul here says, that there's so much God has prepared, but who has he prepared it for? For those who love him. Those who love him are those that look at themselves and say, there's nothing good in me. Those who love him are those who look at the things of this world with all its glory, with all its splendor, and says, 
There's nothing that this world offers to me. That looks at God and says, anything that is good is only in you. I need less of this world. I need less of me. And I need more of you in my life. I need less of my wisdom. I need more of your wisdom. I need others to hear less of my thoughts. I need the world to hear more of your thoughts. I just want to look at just a, a last few verses as, as, I'm, as I'm going to conclude. It's from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. Luke chapter 2, 25 to 32. So I began by saying this, that, uh, that the leaders in Jerusalem, all the leaders in, in Israel, all of them got Jesus wrong. But there was one man in Jerusalem who got Jesus right. And so I want to just read some verses about the one man that we know of that got Jesus right. It's found in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by this Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. When all the people, when all the wise men in Israel got Jesus so wrong, how did Simeon get him right? And so we see here in verse 25, and it kind of brings together all the thoughts that I, I was sh I've been sharing with us today. What are the things that it says about Simeon? In verse 25, it says that this man was righteous and devout. He loved God. Number two, it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what that means is that he was waiting for the Messiah to come back and to redeem his people. He was a man that put no hope in man at all. He knew that man had nothing to offer to him. And so he was waiting for one thing, for God to return, for God to redeem his people, because he knew that all his hope was in God alone. But then there's the third thing that it says. 
about Simeon. Where did he get Jesus right? It says the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was a man filled of God's Spirit, so he was able to perceive the truth of God. And so I want to read again just the first words that he said. Now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon was dying. He was an old man. He was going to die. But there was something that God said to Simeon. God said to Simeon, before you die, with your very eyes, you shall see the Messiah. You shall see the Son of God. And even hold him in your very hands. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I thank you, God, for your word, God. I thank you, God, for, God, all that you are, God. I thank you, God, for Redemption Hill, God. I thank you, God, for, God, those who are here today, God. Heavenly Father, God, this is a special church, God. God, when I talk to people, God, here, God, this is the one thing, God, that I always come away with, God. This is a special church, O oh God, because there are people here, God, in whom you are doing a work, God. Heavenly Father, God, I pray, God. Holy Father, God, even, God, if what I shared, God, was not shared, God, with strength and power, God, even if it was shared in weakness, God, God, I know, God, that the, third, the thoughts that I share today, God, are of you, God. They are thoughts, God, that will give life, God, if we are wise, God, if we are among the mature, God. Heavenly Father, God, I pray, God, that truly we would be of the circumcision, God, the circumcision of the heart, those, Holy Father, God, who worship God in the spirit and put no hope in the flesh that we would become a church, O oh God, that only worships God in the spirit and puts no hope in the flesh at all, God. God is spirit. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of worshiper the Father is seeking. I pray, God, as you're seeking this kind of worshiper, God, that you would find these kind of worshipers at Redemption Hill, God. In your name I pray, amen.